You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. Welcome. We're live. Mike Crawford, Young Jerks. Welcome to the show tonight. Tonight we're going to be covering uh, another fraud. So weird. Last week we had uh, quite a few views on our last episode about the Wolf of Weed Street. This week, we're coming back with something that looks like it's fraud. And this time, it's not stock fraud, but testing fraud. Also got a full studio over here, me and the dogs. Uh, got an unexpected guest here. I hope he's going to do well through this. You may hear a lot of barking uh, as my girlfriend leaves. He's very attached to her. We'll see very soon. If you hear a lot of barking, we'll, we'll deal with it somehow. <laughs> But this is Mike Crawford, the Young Jerks. We're talking about testing fraud tonight. Uh, you see it on the screen right now. This is from the Massachusetts General Law about testing and uh, Section 5 or something or other. <laughs> it's it's on the screen. I'm just going to read it for people on the podcast. It's what we're opening tonight. It says, no individual who possesses an interest or in, let me say that again, no individual who possesses an interest in or is in a laboratory agent employed by an independent testing laboratory and no immediate family member of that individual shall possess an interest or be employed by a marijuana establishment. So basically that's a conflict of interest law on uh, testing. And some true leaf employees have been telling us information about the head cultivator at true leaf uh, in Holyoke and a testing firm. And this week we got more information on that and we actually did lock something down. So we're gonna bring that up right now and uh, talk about these two folks right here. Uh, this is Brenda Shalou. She is the Chief Scientific Officer at Analytics Labs, LLC. And this is her husband, Adam Shalou, who on his LinkedIn shows that he was the head cultivator at True Leaf Holyoke. Why does that matter? Well, it looks like they broke the law from go right there, but it even gets worse than that. These are tests from analytic labs that we've found. Uh, these are COAs as they're called and whose names on the bottom of that signed. That's Brenda Shalou. So let's get this. This is Massachusetts right now. You have a wife who's the chief scientific officer testing product for true leaf in massachusetts while her husband is the true leaf head cultivator that's a conflict of interest where's the cannabis control commission where's the attorney general on this one where where is anyone on any of this stuff these are more coas from brenda shalou of true leaf and you could see this one right here, I believe is dated uh, October. I believe this is the one that came after. There's one that came after and one that came during the time that her husband actually did work there. There are a number of them. And it's interesting because we noticed that True Leaf was using one testing company. And then during this period of time, when they started using this analytic analytics labs, they also started using another company called uh, Steep Hill. Steep Hill, Massachusetts. We'll talk about Steep Hill in a second, too. 
This week, some news also came out from Mass Kosha. Mass Kosh. They put a uh, press release out about True Leaf shutting down. It was actually probably last week, but this is the first time we're presenting it on our, on our show. I thought there was a really good quote in here from Danny Carson, who's a regular featured guest on this show and a friend of the show and an organizer that we've been working with for workers in Massachusetts and nationally. And since True Leaf is shutting down in Massachusetts, a lot of the employees have felt much more free to speak out uh, behind the scenes so far. And I think we, we may see more of them uh, coming out to the media, maybe on this show as well uh, in the coming weeks and months. But one of the things that Danny had uh, heard recently from one of the employees that was just laid off about the cultivation site in Holyoke that seemed like it was new news that the truly Holyoke facility wasn't just growing mold. They were also growing mushrooms, not the magic mushrooms, not mushrooms that they were going to sell. These were just mushrooms growing from the dirtiness of this location. So there's a quote on the screen about that. And again, this is why we're covering this so heavily. True Leaf is, you know, and the industry. It's about the workers. It's about the customers. It's about the consumers. It's about the patients. We're not being protected. There's a testing program here in Massachusetts. The True Leaf was breaking the law. Mass, this analytics lab was breaking the law. They're still in business. True Leaf is still in business. We're, you know, we're going to be sending this to obviously the Mass Cannabis Control Commission. Expect them to do nothing as usual. We're going to send it to the Massachusetts Attorney General. She should she should actually do something about this. And there's a lot more testing fraud too. There's a lot of testing issues right now in the cannabis space related to percentages of THC. There's so much fraud in this industry, and we're going to be exposing a lot more of it. And tonight, we're just d diving in for the first time into testing. And we, we got some great guests in the green room. We're going to bring them up right now. But a lot of the issues right now, it seems like, have to do with how the Cannabis Control Commission isn't enforcing and the way that they're interpreting the law and the Massachusetts law on testing. And this that's highlighted right here is kind of at the heart of it. And it's kind of uh, goes again back to Steep Hill, Massachusetts, where they were testing for True Leaf around the same time that Luna was having her issues or shortly after. And whose name is on the bottom here? Well, this gentleman right here who signed that, he's the head of testing in Massachusetts for the Cannabis Control Commission right now. So there's a lot of conflict of interest in this industry, and there's a lot of lack of transparency and a lot of not calling people back and not answering the phone, not even being professional. That's the Cannabis Control Commissioner. Commission, excuse me. And this is the, the head of testing, Steep Hill Labs, this gentleman, the scientist right here. His name's on it. He's the head of testing now for the Cannabis Control Commission. He used to test for True Leaf. I want to bring up a guest right now. Got a, I think we get a couple in now. Yeah, we do. We got Chris too. We got. A, we got. Let's bring up first. We're going to bring up Jeff Rawson. I bring him up. Jeff, what's up, man? Good evening. How are you doing, Mike? I'm a little fired up, but I'm doing good on the dog front so far. That's great. That's great news, man. 
Yeah, what did you think up. about what I just presented? You heard, you saw some of that. What did that kind of blow your mind or not? Well, the the conflict of interest is um, that you mentioned is actually something I heard of a couple of times through rumor, but um, re really, yeah, hadn't um, hadn't seen it laid out for me like that. So, um, yeah, that's that's it's really concerning. Um, I, I can't say um, I'm super surprised. Uh, about um i think like you know pro problems of enforcing conflicts of interest um and uh i i don't i don't feel like the ccc has been very effective with their enforcement or you know very capable of figuring out where to direct their attention they've really struggled with that um, and you you've been exposed to a lot of testing tell people what your your nonprofit again is yeah so um i i i founded a nonprofit called the institute of cannabis science and um, <clears throat> what I do is consumer protection and consumer education. I, um, I provide honest data about weed and I do that by testing products off the shelf and, uh, by analyzing aggregated data from testing. So by doing that, you can figure out some of the things that labs might do or, uh, say, you know, who, who, which labs maybe have trouble, like, failing samples for mold ever, um, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, we, we, we've dug into the testing a, a good deal in Massachusetts. <clears throat> and you're asking for more information from the CCC and they're not giving it to you right now. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> since, wow, since last July, so it was a pretty long time now. Um, so last July I, I um, submitted <clears throat> my first FOIA request for um, a data file that would be a transcript from the database, the seed to sale system that is adjudicated by metric. So um, metric is an outside con uh, contractor that um, <clears throat> mass CCC pays quite a bit of money to run a database. And in that they accumulate all the test results from cannabis testing in the compliance um, you know, in the compliance testing from uh, independent testing labs. So nope. uh, we requested transcripts of some of those data. Um, the CCC eventually did make an effort to provide them, um, but the data set that they provided was pretty badly flawed. Um, and uh, after some back and forth, we succeeded at getting them to try again, um, but they were still not successful at querying the database in the systematic way um, that we would need to. And um, so that points to the fact that they, you know, that now some of their data team may have some passing familiarity with the database, but they're not capable of the systematic kind of analysis that you would need to do in order to actually make use of it. Seems like they're also not interested in that. I want to bring up uh, another guest here too, Chris. Chris, say your last name. Is it Hudula? I think you're on mute. Say that again. Your last name for us. Let's see if I can unmute you. Sorry about that. Uh, oh, Hudala. no. Worries. Say that again. Hudala. Hudala. Thank you, Chris. And tell us who you are, too. Uh, I'm the founder and chief scientific officer here at Proverty Laboratories. And I, I'm assuming you just saw that quick little presentation I put out there. Uh, do you have comment on that? What do you think about that? Yeah, so 
conflict of interest certainly is a concern. Uh, under the Massachusetts regulations, all the laboratories are required to be ISO 17025 accredited. Uh, and regardless of the Massachusetts law, under that accreditation, one of the core tenets that we adhere to as a independent laboratory is impartiality, meaning free from conflict of interest. Um, and certainly, if you are providing testing services for the company at which your spouse works, that, that clearly would be a conflict of interest. And it's concerning. Do you think that's criminal? It would, if I'm saying it's criminal, is that kind of uh, stretching it or is that like a crime? What do you think? Like you're more knowledgeable on this stuff than I think anyone, Chris. I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I, so <laughs> the, the law, so the MGL 94G, uh, it does clearly address that. So from that perspective, uh, I would say that, I don't know if I'd call it criminal, this is against the law. It's, it's weird too that... Uh, Cannabis Control Commission doesn't seem to uh, enforce this stuff. Like, I'm, I'm surprised that with such an unusual last name, the husband and wife spouse here, the surprised. red flags weren't raised. I mean, they, I, it's like, they probably don't even check on this stuff. What do you guys think? No idea. Yeah, I mean, they have a list of, you know, right? Every employee in the cannabis industry, um, right, is licensed by the CCC. So, um they have the capability to check that pretty easily, I think. I mean, part of the application process for the adult use license is a uh, disclosure of, you know, what contacts or interests uh, that, you know, would basically highlight any potential conflict of interest. And so that's part of an application uh, that we submit to the state for our licensure. Definitely. Um, and you've also, you know, we, we sent me a couple of PDFs too, and you have sent me some helpful quotes too tonight, Chris. Um, I wanted to go to this one, the main one, uh, <laughs> about potency inflation, because this is like the big, like nationally, locally, especially in Massachusetts. This is what I hear about all the time from people who are growing, who are small growers, larger growers. Everybody is talking about this, especially the testing labs too. Because it's really unfair what's going on. Can you tell us about this and I can kind of scroll through it, Chris? Sure. Uh, here in the lab, we refer to it as uh, potency plumping. And it relates to chicken plumping. So the USDA permits injection of up to 15% water weight into chicken. And so every year, U.S. consumers pay $2 billion just for water weight that's been added to their meats. And that is acceptable under USDA. It is only within the last 10 years that it is actually required to be put on the label. And so if you look at your chicken uh, or your meat, your pork, whatever you're buying, oftentimes it will say that it's injected with broth or water. Uh, so basically you're paying for extra water weight. And we started looking at what's happening with the potency inflation. Uh, some of Jeff's work has highlighted some uh, 20, 30% uh, inflation on what's on the label relative to what's in the package. And if we take kind of that same approach to meat plumping and apply that to potency plumping, because the wholesale and retail prices are strongly tied to the total potency, higher potencies bring higher margins. Uh, we estimate that in 2022 alone, last year, Massachusetts consumers paid about $90 million for THC they did not get based on that the 
difference because they're paying based on what's on the label, but it's not in the package. Uh, and so it's not only not only a consumer safety issue, possibly, but it's certainly a consumer fraud issue. And there's a number of ways that this can be achieved. Um, one of the ways is uh, by drying, you know, or correcting potency values based on a theoretical 0% moisture uh, content, which is nobody selling their flour at 0% moisture, it would not sell. Uh, typically, in retail, I would expect maybe 8 to 12% moisture in the flour. But when the uh, potency for that particular sample is measured, and then that excess moisture is factored out, if you have a 10% moisture in the flour, it's going to inflate that potency by that same amount by factoring out that water weight. And so that's why we, we kind of use the, the meat plumping as an analogy for what we see happening uh, in the Massachusetts market. That's a lot of lost <clears throat> money for consumers right there that you got on the slide. It's like uh, 90 million. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if a lawyer is out there considering suing for some consumers for $90 million. Wow. They are. So we see this happening in other states where class action suits, suits unfortunately, are becoming a uh, part of the business. You know, label claims, you, uh, you know, everybody wants to make really good margins, but sooner or later, uh, the consumers are going to rebel. And unfortunately, it'll probably be lawsuits that kind of are the, certainly the regulators aren't doing anything to shut this down. Um, they've been aware of it. We've been talking to them for uh, going on three years on some of these topics and uh, they just say they're working on it. They're working on it. They're working on it. It's kind of a, a skipping record. <laughs> and you shown me some of the emails too, like uh, one of the people that we named earlier that, well, actually, we didn't even name him, but we said his job title, and we put one of his uh, COAs that he did for Steve Hill up on the screen. Um, you've sent emails to him asking for a lot of guidance on this stuff, haven't you? Absolutely. Uh, our, we have emails going back to 2020 regarding guidance on potency. Uh, are synthetic cannabinoids permissible in the Massachusetts market? Do we add Delta 10 into the total THC calculation? Do we... In a total THC calculation, do we do the mathematical decarboxylation, which is required under federal and every other state agency when we report total THC? Uh, do we moisture correct? These are all questions that we've been begging for guidance for years. Um, and in our most recent guidance from the CCC, they basically said it doesn't matter. You can do anything you want. How and what you report is a business decision, not a regulatory decision. So from a regulator who's responsible for the Massachusetts cannabis program, for them to consider potency reporting a business decision rather than a regulatory decision is alarming. Hmm. Um, based on that response, we have requested uh, additional meetings with some of the commissioners. And, and so far, we just hear crickets. Uh, there seems to be no interest to address this. It sounds like regulatory capture and incompetence and laziness and turfdom. Like, am I wrong? I mean, it seems like that's what it is. I, I don't know what it is. It, it, it baffles me. Um, they say that it's a very difficult thing to, to define. 
that it has to be public consensus. But the same MGL law that you were quoting before also has a section on uh, the regulations having to be based on USB guidance. And in that USB guidance, it's very definitive about what uh, total THC, THC should be, whether it includes THCV, whether it's moisture corrected. Um, and they just seem to not be interested in enforcing what is in the law. And, you know, they say in the USB guidance, it says that total THC may be defined as, and the CCC's position is may doesn't mean shall. <laughs> the problem with that is the United States Pharmacopeia is not a regulatory body. They're a standards organization, so they cannot mandate how any individual state defines total THC. So they can't really say shall. I was a co-author on, on the guidance, so I'm well aware of what it says. It was the Massachusetts lawmakers who chose to base Massachusetts regulations and point to that document, to the USB guidance. And now they're saying, well, we're not really sure if we should be using that. And so we were told that we don't have to follow that USB guidance. And, and what does that mean for consumers? Like that, that's why the THC numbers are getting inflated. It means that every single lab who's reporting potency in Massachusetts is using a different calculation. We might all measure the same way. We might all measure with HPLC to get our cannabinoid values, but how we take those numbers and massage and manipulate them for reporting is different by lab. Some labs add in other isomers. As I said, Delta 10 can be added in. Uh, Delta 6A10, there's, there's 30 THC isomers, and whether uh, those are added in is a, is a question. Under USP guidance and federal guidance as well, total THC is equal to the THCA corrected by a factor of 0.877 to do a mathematical decarboxylation to Delta 9, and then to that you add the actual measured amount of Delta 9 THC. And that is very well defined, again, in the USB guidance, as well as in the farm bill, any kind of the DEA, any, any federal or other state agency that deals with cannabis and total THC uses that, that equation. It's only Massachusetts that I'm aware of that does not use that. The USP guidance also recommends that the product is tested and reported as received. Mm -hmm. So that the number that we give back to our clients, the number that gets pushed into the state's metric database, the number that goes on the package should be in sync with the product that's in the package. That does not happen today. Yeah, that's right. And I, I would love to jump in here for just a minute because this, I, I just want to point out from my perspective mm -hmm. that this U.S. Pharmacopeia guidance, you know, that's, <clears throat> that's the first organization um, that's produced um, a good clear set of modern guidance for cannabis. Um, and uh, it reflects a big, it, 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 it reflects a very widely held consensus. Um, so um, what Chris is talking about, this is not some niche organization. You know, this is a very well accepted procedure. Um, and I think it's obvious to almost anyone that the, 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 the way that THC percentage is calculated and um, the moisture content at which it is presented, that should reflect the consumer's experience. Uh, otherwise, it's hard to say 
what the purpose of putting the number on the label even is. Absolutely. It, it kind of makes me wonder why we even waste time. Why don't we just use magic eight balls for our numbers? <laughs> that's what it seems like right now, right? It's like, who's got the best magic eight ball out there? I mean, that's what it seems like is going on. And so one of the, one of the sad results of this is that we have a huge amount of data collected in the state's metric database for total THC for different potency. And that collection of data is essentially garbage because it's tainted by different. When you look at a total THC value in metric, you don't know how that data was come to in terms of the manipulation, whether it was moisture corrected, whether THCV was added into it. There's no indication in metric what was the foundation of that calculation. And so if I look at two total THC values uh, in metric, one of them could be accurate and one of them could be 30% higher than the actual value just because of the way the data was handled. And so it, it makes analysis of that huge wealth of information kind of meaningless. That is the problem. I mean, the consumer has no idea. Yeah, it definitely, it makes, it, yeah, it, it makes the, the data much less valuable, definitely. And so we ultimately, I know what I believe is the right way for calculating and reporting uh, the DPH, when the DPH was responsible for the laboratories, they did provide some guidance. So the written guidance, there's some ambiguity. There's a little bit of vagueness to the, uh, the written guidance. And so back when the DPH was involved with the laboratories, the laboratories met on a regular basis with the DPH where we could discuss these and ask questions and express concerns. And during one of those meetings, the DPH was very clear that testing should be uh, on product as it was received and reported as it was received. It was very clear that we add in the Delta 9 THC to the THCA uh, concentration after that factor had been applied. Um, I don't know how that got lost in transition to uh, the CCC regulatory oversight, but it absolutely did get, get lost. Yeah, and that's actually a really funny thing, right? Because I've also gone through many of the regulatory documents over the course of years. And the, what's interesting is the, the documents from the DPH um, and from the DPH era of cannabis in Massachusetts are far more specific and clear than anything produced by the CCC. Um, <clears throat> and and the, the difference if you hold them up side by side can be really striking sometimes. Pages of description of how you do something from DPH and then less than a paragraph from the CCC. And, you know, these are I'm, what you're showing on the screen now are just a few of the numerous different calculations that can be used in Massachusetts. And if you take the same exact chromatic graphic analytical output of our instruments and put them through these different handling of equations, you can easily get 30 to 40% variance in values reported, meaning what's on the label could be easily 30% higher than what is in the package. And I think that's kind of what Jeff found in some of his uh, evaluations when he was doing his survey of, of market products, uh, very consistent with, with that. You know, and one of the things, if you go to the CCC's website, they list on their website, the role of the Cannabis Control Commission, 
one of the very first things that they declare is their responsibility is to deal with public health issues such as labeling, advertising, and potency, public safety issues, etc. And so that's probably one of their primary to their own uh, their own declaration that it's one of their primary concerns, and yet uh, we see zero urgency in addressing this. And ultimately, I don't care which equation you're showing on the screen is what the commission decides is most appropriate. That second one is the federal and the USP guidance one. But whatever the CCC decides is most appropriate, I think it's critical that all labs report based on the same assumptions and calculations. So at least there is some level of consistency in the market that would go a long way uh, to uh, satisfy consumers. Consumers distrust the label claims because they know that there's shenanigans going on and, and potency inflation, and they're very frustrated, which means they don't trust the Massachusetts program in many ways. Now, that top one that it's, you know, in your slide says it's the most accurate representation of product in the packaging. Was that what DPH originally used? It is, yeah. I think I said the second one, but the first one that is highlighted is actually the one that is in the USP uh, guidance as well as the f every federal uh in the farm bill, they word they worded uh, in terms of describing hemp. Uh, hemp has to be less than 0.3% total THC as measured by a post-decarboxylation technique. It has to do with the different analytical techniques, uh, gas chromatography versus liquid chromatography. But this 0.877 factor is a mathematical decarboxylation of THCA to delta-9 THC, which is delta-9 THC is the psychoactive component. THCA is not psychoactive. And so the total THC represents the total potential for psychoactivity. Excellent. I knew where to go on the show because I, I, I don't know about this stuff like you guys do. Wow, let me tell you. And uh, what, what is TAC? That's a total activated cannabis. What is that? Oh, active cannabinoids? TAC is a made-up acronym. It's different depending on who uses it. I've seen total active cannabinoid, total available cannabinoid. Essentially, from an industry perspective, regardless of what it means, it's purely the summation of everything that's found in a sample. And again, so uh, if you're dealing with distillates and your distillate has a large amount of delta-10 THC or delta-6A 10A THC, these are cannabinoids which do not exist in nature. These are cannabinoids for which we do not know their toxicity or their efficacy. We don't know how psychoactive they are. Um, some producers are free to add in Delta 10 as part of their TAC or total available cannabinoid. That doesn't sound good. We've, we've specifically asked the commission how do we address some of these unnaturally occurring isomers? And we got the same response we get for most of our uh, inquiries regarding consumer health and safety, and that's zero response. I call. I try to call the head of uh, testing at the Cannabis Control Commission, the guy that uh, used to be uh, testing the product at Truly for Steep Hill around the time that Lorna McMurray was dying at Truly. He's now the head of testing and. I realized his voicemail didn't even he didn't even have his voicemail set up like it just reminded me, oh, I'm dealing with the government. This is like no voicemail set up. I mean, it just then then he'd have to respond. <laughs> yeah. 
Someone should really, someone should really look into that hiring process because this individual was, um, I mean, I have seen that he was, uh, you know, a very small part owner actually of steep Hill in at the time that they first filed, um, in Massachusetts. And, um, they must have had other applicants. I've heard that there were other applicants for that director of testing position. Um, I just wonder how they made the decision to select someone with such conflicts of interest in the industry. And I mean, how are they going to investigate? How are they going to investigate something like True Leave, like Lorna McMurray, if the investigate the person who would be involved in that re- investigation is actually involved in um, some of the testing or the death, right? Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And and it's like, uh, it's just kind of shocking to find out all this. And then Steep Hill, Massachusetts, like, like truly too. It's like so many of these rats are scurrying away, but they're not really scurrying away. They're still there, but like truly is leaving Massachusetts. Uh, Steep Hill, Massachusetts is no longer, but there, you know, the people that were behind it are still there. Like they have a new company. It's basically the same thing from my understanding. Um, so it's, we're going to be diving into this stuff a lot more cause it's not right. There's a lot not right here, especially like, you know, to just find so easily how people are skirting the law and the test with the testing company, like that, that whole thing with the husband and wife, that was just like, wow, this is like right out in the open. Nobody's hiding anything. It's just so obvious. So, um, another thing regarding the uh, director of testing for the CCC, not to defend him, but he, he in my opinion, entered a cesspool. I, these problems predated his involvement in the, the CCC. So we've been asking, as I said, for almost three years, uh, well before his uh, tenure at the commission uh, for some of this guidance. And, and uh, you know, especially when it comes to other, other consumer safety issues, we see stuff on the uh, Massachusetts market, which I think represents a safety concern to consumers. And we've raised those concerns with the commission and they did what I think is a lame attempt at, they put a a warning on their website with a bulletin, which most people do not read or check before they go to buy gummies in the retail market. Nobody's checking the CCC bulletins for safety notices. If If it's worthy of being a safety notice on the CCC's website, why is there not a warning in the retail uh, shop where people are actually purchasing these products that have the ingredients of concern? Why are they not just pulled off the market if there is significant concern? Uh, most of these products are not even labeled with the compound that they say is the concerning compound. It's scary. Very scary. There's so much going on too like that. Uh, there, w- there was that company, the Midnight Drops, that it was the non-THC stuff in the, in the product that was very dangerous to people. They removed yeah. some of their products and happened in other states and no one in Massachusetts seemed to know anything about it. And uh, so a year later is, again. This is actually what I'm referring to. The chemical compound that is in those is called tetrahydropalmitine. And it's found in two botanical herbs. Corydalis is one of them. And that was what was in these drops. And so when the warning came out, the producers changed the the label from Corydalis to another herb called Stephania, which coincidentally contains the same THP that was of concern for the Corydalis. But the warning to consumers, which is posted only on the CC's website, 
does not address the Stephania, which it is now appears on the label in retail. It only addresses Corey Dallas. And so even if a consumer were to read Corey Dallas on that warning, when they go into the shop to buy these products, there's no Corey Dallas on the label. It's, it's labeled as Stephania. Mm. Oh my God. That's unbelievable. Cause I, I remember they changed it and I thought that, Oh wow. <laughs> this is just more. Holy crap. Thank you, Chris. This is uh, a, <laughs> this is shocking. Like I, I thought they actually fixed the problem and they, they just changed the name. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, th yeah, those <clears throat> those kinds of herbal products are hard to regulate, right? We have right. With dietary That's why I would never. I, I, my thing for consumers is don't when you're going to a cannabis place, don't mix. Just get cannabis. Don't don't get those supplements because you don't know how it. Especially if you're using cannabis a lot, because like I remember people with oxycodone or maybe it was Percocet, whatever it was, codeine and Tylenol, hmm. and people were taking those because they were addicted to the you know the opiate. Well, the, the Tylenol killed the liver. You know what I mean? It's that other thing that they add to it sometimes. So I think people should not be taking anything with supplements with cannabis, especially from these licensed places. You think you're safe. They're not even doing a good job, you know, regulating the cannabis, never mind supplements that they can't regulate at all. I mean, that's right. Right, Jeff? Am I wrong on this? Sorry well, to cut you off. I'm just does, fired up. It definitely seems like a it seems like it would be a big challenge for an organization like the CCC to also figure out all these other ingredients um, that are going into some of these products. That's definitely what it looks like to me. We, we've asked them point blank for a list of approved ingredients. What mm. is approved for addition and what is the process for approval? And like all of our other inquiries, it went ignored. They don't even have the courtesy of responding saying, well, we'll get back to you and then never get back to me. But, they don't even respond at all. That's the frustration. The frustration is that I'm looking to our regulators to regulate what I'm doing to help me do my job. If, if I'm not being regulated by the regulators, then what am I doing here? Yeah, it's almost like the regulators are telling you to be fast and loose and just not care. Right, Chris? I mean, is that kind of the, the I mean, feeling you get on this stuff? When I'm told that I don't have to follow the USB guidance, which it's pointed to in the law, it, it kind of, to me, seems, he didn't say break the law, but that's, that's the underlying message that comes across, is that um, everybody else is doing it, so don't, don't, uh, don't follow the USB guidance, or you don't have to. It's not required. Well, it makes you wonder what other, um, what other kind of guidelines he thought of as, as, as advisory or flexible to make a business decision. Um, you know, working at a lab company too. So <clears throat> when, when we asked him if THCV should be included as part of the THC, because THCV is not a THC, it's a cannabivera, not a cannabinol. And he said that because there's no documentation that shows THCV is not a THC, it is permissible to include that as a THC. Hmm. And to that, I responded, well, we have no documentation that says vitamin B is not a THC. Can I include that in my total THC calculation? To which he responded, I guess so. It's a business decision. It's a business decision. That's a, oh, my God. Now, I know as soon as I do that, they would be uh, stormtroopering our, our lab and we would be rated like uh, some of the other labs. But um, just because they, you know, we, after this phone call, sent an email uh 
basically reiterating the conversation and asking for written confirmation of the discussion. And again, no response. They won't put it in writing. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I, I speak to operators of several labs in addition to Chris. Um, you know, I've collaborated with a bunch of labs here in Massachusetts. And like what Chris is saying, I mean, he's not alone in his experience. Um, I've heard from multiple lab operators that they try to contact the CCC again and again and again for guidance and never get engagement or talk to them about problems. So um, that is definitely a, a, a broad, <laughs> broadly held experience. Um, you know, I wondered actually, <clears throat> yeah, I wondered if, it, actually, I even have a question for Chris. Um, you know, <clears throat> you mentioned that site visit to, um, MCR, and um, I, I heard they visited a couple other labs, too, um, around the same time. <clears throat> do you think that could have anything to do with um, any kinds of conflicts of interest or? Well, I was going to ask, or speaking out, like even like, mm -hmm. Chris, are you, and I also want to ask on top of that, like, are you worried you're on the show tonight? You're speaking out. I know that people are going to hear it. Some of these people at the CCC might watch this. Are you worried that they might raid you next? Um, we're always prepared for a visit. I mean, that is part of their responsibility to visit the labs and unannounced visits are, are fine. What I, what I do fear of is a retaliatory visit, one where they come in and uh, try and find anything they can to try and make our lives miserable because we're uh, challenging the lack of regulatory guidance that we're being provided. So I have, whether or not those other visits to the other labs were based on retaliatory uh, rationales. There's some thought by some other people in the industry that they were. Um, I don't know that to be the case, but one could suspect that. But I do worry. You know, I worry about uh, speaking out against the Cannabis Control Commission. Yeah, well, I, I think I was really concerned about the fact that, you know, <clears throat> after that site visit, um, MCR Labs prepared a, um, a letter with very specific allegations and very specific concerns about conduct during the visit. And the Cannabis Control Commission, to my knowledge, has only responded with a brief, very vague statement that provided no justification, no specific refutations, um, only invoked their authority to do essentially whatever they want. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, it, <clears throat> I sure don't feel like they've messaged well or presented an alternative narrative of what they were doing with those site visits. Um, and that's conspicuous. Yeah. Yep. Seems kind of fishy. Yeah. I mean, uh, if MCR lab says, well, the CCC showed up and they seem to not have a plan or not know what they were looking for. Um, I feel like the CCC could have easily, you know, if they actually had had a plan, they, they had their moment now to say, no, we had a plan here it is. But instead they gave us kind of a vague, vague, justification of their authority so um yeah i would at least really want to see some more de detailed explanations of what what it is they're up to with all this stuff um or what their alternative plan or narrative is now uh, th there's more slides here are, are there certain things that we should be looking at right now too on this chris or anything well, that we so missed? The, the slide that you're looking at here so when i you know, we get glimpses of data and metric, and um, I see what I would 
consider laboratory fraud uh, and its evidence in some of the metric database. But then, you know, I was frustrated with the widespread laboratory reporting that I would consider fraudulent in Massachusetts. But then after recent conversations with the Cannabis Control Commission, if those are the rules, if the rules are you can report whatever you want, then I don't think it's fair for me to call it fraud because it's not fraud if it's part of the rules of the game that the CCC says you can report whatever you want for potency and it doesn't really matter. Um, and so this slide, what I'm trying to say here is that because there, there might be laboratory fraud, there, there probably most certainly is. Um, there could be producer fraud. So one of the ways of potency inflation is producers select their own flour. They could dust it with keef or whatever. We don't know. Um, whether or not that's happening, either on the lab side or the producer side, we don't know because the, the amount of variability that's introduced by the regulatory ambiguity overshadows any kind of potential fraud. So looking at any database, and, and Jeff and I have talked a lot about this, looking at the data in metric, it's, it's interesting, but it's really, it's no indication of fraud because everybody's playing by the rule the rule being you can do whatever you want. Well, I think, yeah, Chris is definitely right that you can't, yeah, you're not going to be able to identify fraud by looking at individual numbers or looking at even like the averages, right? Like you can't say that some lab that reports a high, high average, you know, their, their THC levels are higher than other labs. That doesn't really demonstrate fraud or anything. Right. Um, so <clears throat> I agree. I, I agree that, yeah, you're, you're very limited there. I, I think if you look at some of the, the potency values that are in the high 40s, I think we've seen 48, 49 percent. Um, you know, when that goes viral on social media and in many respects, Massachusetts is the laughing stock of the nation when they start seeing some of these numbers being reported because they're just not they're not botanically relevant numbers. Um, is that fraud or is it laboratory incompetence? I don't know. Yeah, well, I think that what we know um, is that it's uh, misinformation. And it's certainly misinformation. Yeah, and it's misleading consumers. And uh, you, can, <clears throat> you can give people more accurate numbers than we are. Yeah. The, the irony yeah. is that we're all using essentially the same analytical instrumentation or the same methodologies uh, we are probably all generating the same raw data. It's just how that data is being manipulated or handled. Yeah, and that and that that's the that's that's been my experience that I've submitted you know samples that I divide up and send to multiple labs, um, and those labs produce uh, you know indistinguishable data sets. So that is to say, you know. It, of course, every there, there's always variance on every measurement. But if I look at the data sets, like the the set of fifteen results I get from three different labs, I see that they're all that they're all analyzing the same way. Um, the slide that you have up here, I'm just you know we were so frustrated. And if you look at the consumer market, it has nothing to do with cannabis. If you just look at the consumer market, whether you're looking at food, pharmaceutical, nutritional supplements, house household cleaning products, everything has a label. And on that label, they tell you what's in the package. Why? 
would anyone, and the commission basically says, we don't know how to report potency. Why would anyone choose any equation or process for reporting potency that is not consistent with the product in the package? It just baffles my mind. The next slide actually shows a few products which do not have appropriate label claims. We don't know what's in a pinata or a kinder surprise. <laughs> You're taking a chance on those. <laughs> well, that's I, the purpose, right? I, I guess I should have put Massachusetts cannabis on that same slide. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know. One of my principles that I work off of is that informed consumers are healthy consumers. I think, I, I don't see how being misled could possibly be better for you. And, and again, this slide just, these slides basically say, we should all be doing it the same. The actual method doesn't matter as much to me as long as we are all doing it the same so that there's from one package to the next. If you go into a single retail shop, retail store owners may purchase product from different wholesale supplies. Those different wholesale suppliers could be using different laboratories. So two flowers in the same retail shop, one of them might have accurate labeling and one of them might not. How do consumers know what to trust? How do they know what to rely on? Yeah, it seems like like opposite of what people voted on. People, when they voted to legalize cannabis in Massachusetts, overwhelming majority vote, we wanted testing. We Like we wanted to know what we were buying. Like this throws it all out there. It's, it makes it useless. It's a, It's a joke. Like I know when I see those test results, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. You know, I, I hear regulators in Massachusetts say, they point out that Massachusetts program is a model for the nation. <laughs> and when I hear that, I wonder what program they're looking at. You know, Massachusetts has the first canvas worker fatality and only as far as I know, first and only. Um, in terms of data transparency, they're, they're very vocal about their transparency, but it's only data that they want to be transparent. Um, we hear frequently that any issue that we raise, that it goes under investigation. Well, where do investigations go? Um, this yeah, issue yeah. with the, the Corey Dallas that you mentioned, they opened an investigation on that a year ago. Uh, did the investigation get closed? Are they still investigating it? I think investigation is just code word for, well, we don't have to answer it because it's an open investigation, so we don't have to talk about it. Um, and I don't think that's a very, when they say that they're a very transparent organization, I think that's disingenuous. It's they're only transparent for the, the data that is convenient for them and clean for them to show. Yeah, and, and, and that transparency that, that Chris mentions, I mean, or lack of transparency, you know, that extends to my experience. I mean, in my course of seeking the data that I, that I requested, I met numerous other people who had also requested those data, but simply been dismissed out of hand. And when I, when I made my request, the, um, the, the data officer, the custodian of records for the CCC actually called me up the day after I submitted my request. And she said, wow, you're at Harvard, huh? Congratulations. Well, listen, lots of people ask for data like this, but we don't usually give it to them. But I really want to help you out because you're at Harvard. Right. So, um, 
yeah, I've just seen a lot. Yeah, a lot it's of not, privilege going. It's not it's, a good culture of tra- transparency. I mean, I mean, look have- at yeah, look at the Lorna issue too. Like Lorna yeah. McMurray, you mentioned that Chris, mm-hmm. first yeah. death of the industry. She's dead. There was an investigation that started before she died at True Leaf. And it's True so Leaf awkward. has now left the state. They they're leaving the state. True Leaf is packing their bags up, like, and the investigation is still ongoing. Like, what a joke! Like, you're not even going to have an investigation. Like any results to the public, to the family, to the workers, to the customers, to anybody in the state. Before the company's going to move out of the state. I mean, this is just—it's ridiculous. There's no, there's no accountability. There's no uh, transparency. There's none of that. Like Sean Collins. I mean, this guy. I know they—they—they they applaud him. He walks around like he's the king. You're not a king, Sean Collins. That's all I'm going to say. Like. I'm saying it like it's just I know you guys are going to be a little more tempered. You have to be. But I'm the guy who could say this stuff because it's just it's obviously true and everybody knows it. Yeah. So when you talk about transparency, I would like to know how many investigations are ongoing and what are those investigations pertain to? I realize that uh, some of the contents of those investigations are and should be confidential. But I'd like to know just how many are open. How, how long have they been open for? Are they ever actually closing an investigation? Uh, what is the rate of closure? Uh, a lot of the things that I hear about investigations, it goes on years and it's never addressed. The Corey Dallas thing is still hanging out there, as far as I know. I've never heard any uh, any resolve of that. Hmm. You know, like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I think that we need to know like what types of investigations. Are they wasting their time on someone you know, did something stupid, like, you know, gave away uh, $5 a weed or something, you know, crazy, or are they actually focusing on things like people dying (laughs) or people getting sick from the product because it has extra additives in it? Or are they worried about advertising? You know, the the little things that they bust these dispensaries on that is just like ridiculous, like about their logos. There's so much stuff that they over-regulate. They're worried about the children. And it's like, yeah, I the hear children haven't been harmed. It's diverse. the consumers. It's the workers. It's you know. And and like Jeff, we have an open FOIA request, and it has gone ignored. Um, we know they got it because they did send an email confirming receipt of the uh, request, but it's been uh, it's been over a month now and not denied or granted. I think under state guidelines, they have ten days to address it, and uh, we just get ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and another person who requested data, um, uh, Candace O'Sullivan Sutherland, um, she's posted um, uh, some of the uh, communications that she had on LinkedIn. And um, essentially, it, you know, it seems like their current custodian of records is kind of wa- waving around the idea that um, they, it, well, what, what, he, what he says is that um, no new record needs to be generated as the response of a FOIA request. And what he's using is sort of like a, it's like a misspoken shorthand. Um, He's right that you can't use a FOIA request to make the government do like a new research report. But um, the, the, you know, the, the freedom of information laws are really clear that, that they, they acknowledge that new documents will be created, right? The emails and letters alone sent in response to the request are new documents already. 
and um, you you know try to make a government office stop producing documents, right? It's actually hard. <laughs> so um, you know, it's a <clears throat> you know what what we're requesting is actually just a transcription of data that are in a database that the government is paying for. Um, it's not outside of the scope of for freedom of information law at all. And they don't respond. I mean, this is just, uh, I got a question for you both. Like we, we just, uh, broke tonight. What we think is, uh, you know, an illegal action by a husband and wife with true leaf and, uh, who, you know, the husband used to be with true leaf. He left actually, but she's the wife is still working at a testing company. Uh, they had that conflict of interest. Do you think anything will be done? Do you think that the Cannabis Control Commission will actually even investigate it or do anything about it or respond to it or the attorney general? Or do you think they're just like it's just another example of fraud being OK, even when it's reported in like a media outlet like ours? Like it's just nobody cares. What do you what do you what do you both? What's your guess? If you had to bet on it tonight, anything going to happen? I would bet a month's pay that they will open an investigation and it will be the last we hear of it. <laughs> what do you I think? think? What do you I, think, Jeff? I, I, I wish I could offer like a more interesting answer, but I think that Chris is dead on. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd be surprised. You know what? I, I, they may not even announce an investigation. They may just say nothing. Like I just, it's so funny. Like I, mm -hmm. we'll see. Well, yeah, I guess someone, if someone from the Boston globe asks them about it for, <laughs> Yeah, these are these, are, but uh, yeah, again, these are good reasons to look into, um, like, yeah, the hiring process. You know, it, you you have you have to wonder why um, why the CCC has been so slow to address some of these things and what they're with these conflicted staff members. What is their plan for conducting the investigations that they're supposed to now? Um, should we go back to the slides too? Are there more slides? I, I, I think we've gotten to most of them. This is pretty extensive. What do you think? It's, it's pretty much right. So this potency question, there are there is some ambiguity. There's some questions, you know, should we moisture correct flour? Um, certain states like Montana and Michigan uh, prohibit this moisture correction. New York requires it. Um, I personally am against the moisture correction because, again, it leads to inflation over the product that's in the package. The number that's on the label is what consumers use to inform their purchasing decision. That's what they're expecting to get in the package. And if moisture correction is being used to inflate those numbers, uh, they're being misled and they're being taken. You know, they're paying higher prices for it because it has higher potency. Um, we propose to different members of the CCC and as well as the Cannabis Advisory Board is, hey, if you have flower values that are, let's say, 32 percent, 35 percent, maybe it requires a second lab test. Um, mm. Montana, you can't you can't even have flower over 35 percent or it fails. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, That's those are those are great points. I, I would hate to see that level of of regulation here in Massachusetts, you know, maybe somebody does have a strain that comes in at 35%. I think all it takes is a confirmatory second lab to, to confirm that. Uh, certainly yeah. if the state ever has a reference laboratory, that could be part of the reference laboratory's responsibility, but building and validating and getting an accreditation for a state reference lab is probably a, at least a year and a half to two years away. So that's not a short-term fix. A immediate yeah. fix 
would be dissemination of a bulletin that says potency will be calculated like this and give the equation that they're expecting. Uh, the director of testing says they can't do that, that they can't just issue a bulletin. However, when they changed the limits for hydrocarbons from 1 ppm to 12 ppm, they did that via a bulletin that they mm. did not even send to the labs. They just posted it on their website. There was no there was no change to the regulatory guidance until months later. They did an immediate change based on issuing a bulletin. I would expect that they could do the same thing for potency. Just issue a bulletin that says, by the way, labs, you have to follow the law. The law says follow the USP guidance. Here's the USP guidance. Yeah, and th this is a really important issue, right? Chris points out that consumers are being defrauded, but you know, there are also patients who are using these numbers for their dosing, all right? And they are relying on that. And, um, <clears throat> and the <clears throat> concerns with effective <clears throat> regulation of testing labs go beyond THC levels. And <clears throat> we exactly. do have to wonder. I mean, if they're um, fudging THC levels, there may be fudging other stuff that's very dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, this yeah. is, and this is ethics. Is, yeah, if the CCC is not very effective at policing the one fairly obvious problem that has been well documented and discussed now for a long time in this state, then um, yeah, yeah, easy to address. Yeah, yeah, and relatively easy to address, right? They can't even get to the point of um, of issuing straight like these straightforward or enforcing these straightforward guidelines. When you get to microbial contaminants, that is a challenge. There's there's different methods of testing. That one is actually truly a regulatory challenge because there's such different requirements from one state to the next. A lot of the labs here in Massachusetts, or maybe not a lot, but they're multi-state operators. And so they have uh, testing methodologies which are appropriate for other states, but maybe not necessarily for the Massachusetts uh, regulations for microbial contaminants. And I... I don't expect the CCC to take that one on in the near future because it is a very complicated topic with a lot of, we go to conferences and there's Artists. groups of PhDs that don't agree and, and are wrestling with these decisions. That's the right. potency thing seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is exactly right about the microbial thing. I've gotten tied up in some of the conflicts too. I've where, seen yeah. it. I've seen it. And I've gotten like, cause I had you on the show and they were like telling me to ask the question about it. It's yeah. just like that stuff is very, it is, it's, it's tough to, to know, um, especially for someone like me that doesn't know, yeah. but um, th like you're talking about, like we have a screen, uh, something on the screen right now about New York potency and they're doing the same type of stuff. They're, they're, they're lab, it says, you know, on the screen, labs are required to manipulate data and, and right. uh, to inflate so, potency, right? Yes. So under New York, they do require the 0.877 uh, factoring on the THCA. So in Massachusetts, when you don't use that 0.877, the numbers that you report for total THC are automatically inflated by 12% just from yeah. that factor alone. Uh, New York does require that factor, but then they require the moisture correction. Um, and they also don't uh, really define what THC is in terms of the isomers. Mm -hmm. In the USP guidance, it says that Delta-8 and those other isomers are not to be included because they don't have the same level of psychoactivity as Delta-9. And so if you buy, if you buy something that's 10 megs of Delta-8 THC 
and 10 megs of Delta 9 THC, a different product, they're going to have the same total THC on the label. One of them is going to have five times more psychoactivity associated with it just because it's the Delta 9 isomer. And so the USP guidance is very clear that the total THC is only Delta 9. But that is not part of the Massachusetts requirements for reporting. Interesting. It is in the USP guidance, but we don't have to follow that. Yeah, they don't follow it. Yeah, and that yeah, and again, right, that dry weight calculate, right? It's just, it's just not, it's just confusing for consumers, right? I mean, it's just, it's just giving them a less accurate number. I can't see any good reason to do it that way. Um, one of the things that Michigan did, which I think is interesting, they actually have called out. Uh, producer manipulation of the sample is prohibited. Laboratory manipulation of the data or the sample is prohibited. And so they, um, some states just don't address it and it's assumed that it doesn't happen. But Michigan went so far as to say, you can't dust your sample with Keef before it goes to the lab. You can't play with the data. You can't uh, manipulate it by, by moisture. Uh, and so they're very clear about what is and what is not permissible. That's what we need in Massachusetts. I mean, it's not rocket science, right, Chris? But it's, it's already all in the USB guidance. And uh, it, uh, it's just amazing that we can't, can't uh, disseminate that, that procedure to the labs and use that. Um, this, this just highlights some of the lawsuits that are happening in multiple states. Um, this is not a Massachusetts issue. Potency inflation, lab shopping, um, it is a serious problem in every single market that we see. In most states, I have seen either some recalls or lab closures based on some of the shenanigans that are found. But uh, Massachusetts, we see neither recalls. I think I've seen one recall, but even that product recall occurred mm -hmm. six months or so after the concern was identified. So it truly was a consumer safety issue. Why wasn't that recall issued at the time that the issue was identified rather than waiting six months till all the product had certainly been consumed, I would assume. Mm -hmm. um, but so in Massachusetts, we don't see any kind of enforcement action and maybe it's all behind the scenes. Maybe it's all part of these unknown- Top secret. Top secret double uh, secret probation investigation. <laughs> Remember Animal House, Dean, yeah. Dean Warmer? That's how I, I, I think of Sean, actually, Sean Collins. He is the Dean Warmer of cannabis. And it, that's exactly what's going on here. Double secret probation. That's what happened. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm sure there are some questions. I haven't even posted any of the comments tonight. We did get quite a few comments, but... Um, I'm wondering if you guys have any final thoughts like that we didn't kind of discuss tonight or any anything that you want to bring up about testing or even about the Cannabis Control Commission tonight. I love the commission. They're doing such a swell job. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best. They're the best in America. Yeah, That's all I, yeah I, th I think that the, the one the one point that I would I mean, we've really already said it, but, um, you know, it. It's a it's a very important question right now. How are some of these concerns going to be investigated, and who's going to do it? And um, you know, I, I, right? We 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 know that the legislature um, is looking at the CCC right now, and I hope that they're going to be, um, you know, I hope they're going to make a really forceful move to install 
some better oversight because um, I'm I'm that's what I'm most concerned about. I yeah, I agree with Chris that like there have been numerous consumer safety issues that have been allowed to slide and lots of poor communication um, and lots of poor transparency. To follow up on that, Jeff, you've uh, submitted testimony for some bills and, you know, even in general for people listening, what can they do? Like what are the bills that they should support or, you know, what kind of actions should people listening out there take if they're concerned about these issues? Demand open data. Um, that's one thing for sure. But, um, you know, I think that this um, having a, a um, an internal auditor um, of the CCC is essential, I think. I think that there are enough questions now about their, um, you know, about some of the conflicts of interest that may apply to some of the staff who are in really important positions right now. Um, and I don't see how you can resolve that and, and resolve some of these open investigations without, you know, without third parties involved. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that I, I would urge people to tell your legislator, um, you know, co complain. That's what you have to do. Yeah. In, in any other commercial operation, people typically would have a, uh, a supervisor to report to. So if I'm at a restaurant and I get terrible service, I might ask to speak to the manager. Um, when things go wrong, there should be somebody that is ultimately responsible for accountability. And the CCC has shown that they're above that accountability and there's no, as far as I understand, no oversight. So if they don't do a good job, who, who are they responsible to? Um, I think there's very limited accountability. And I think one of the bills that is going up in the Senate uh, regards this, this accountability issue, creating an independent uh, body or, or person to oversee or to have some level of accountability. The Michael Moore bill? Uh, there's yeah. two bills, right? Was... Yeah, that, that's what I'm referring to also. I agree. Yeah. Yes. There, there's, bills, there's bills both in the Senate and the House that regard data transparency, so making mm -hmm. some of the um, metric data publicly available. In other states, once that data has been available, it led to some lab closures because there's some, some indications of shenanigans or fraud that can be gleaned from uh, a review of the data. Um, so having transparent data would be a, a huge a benefit. Um, the other bill regards uh, accountability, like an oversight mm -hmm. uh, somebody with some oversight capability for the commission. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, if people want to follow up with you, where, how can they reach you right now? I'm always available at Proverti. My, my emails on the website or info at ProvertiLabs.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my website is cansci.org. That's C-A-N-N-S-C-I.org. And, um, yeah, you can uh, you can seek me out uh, uh, by email that way. Thank you so much, uh, Chris from Provet, uh, Proverty Labs and Jeff from the Institute of Cannabis Science. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. Thank All you. Right. Thank you, Mike. And we're definitely going to continue on. Uh, I got a few, couple more things to just kind of uh, discuss tonight to kind of close the show. But uh, I want to thank the guests so much for being here. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. And uh, we, we, you know, we started off tonight with this uh, slideshow here. You might have seen it. Um, 
make sure that we got this up. Yeah, we do. Okay. Because, you know, for people that didn't say, see it, we start off with, you know, something that we think is um, lab testing fraud. And we had also this week seen that, you know, we've been talking about this Leafly removed the article on Lorna McMurray that is out there. And we got a lot more feedback from some employees who had been laid off. And they told us quite a bit of information. Uh, some of the stuff that they told us recently was that True Leaf had dropped Leafly immediately when that story came out about Lorna McMurray on Leafly. And that True Leaf has been ble- uh, Leafly has been bleeding money since then. And that apparently they didn't disclose it to their own investors. So that's a little twist. I don't know if that is stock fraud. I, you know, it could be. I, I think it might be, but I think it's borderline. I checked with a couple of my financial friends. They weren't sure. They they were saying that's kind of borderline. It probably isn't, they thought. Um, but it's just another interesting tidbit that's going on. We're definitely going to follow up more on what's going on with Leafly uh, and True Leaf and the True Leaf story, just no matter where it goes. Because True Leaf, everywhere we touch from them, the way that they treat the media, the pay-to-play media. And uh, let me mention, too, that uh, I haven't had time yet this week. I was so busy this week. But Deborah uh, from Green Market Report had sent us an email. Uh, she wants a meeting. I'm hoping that we maybe have a meeting live on the show. We'll see about that. But uh, I definitely do need to follow back up with her. She did see the last podcast episode. I don't think she was too happy. But she requested a meeting. So I think we may have that meeting upcoming. But, you know, again, I wanted to just throw it out there. If you're a Leafly employee, if you're a True Leaf employee, if you have any dirt on this testing stuff or the stock fraud, you've been defrauded on the cannabis stock fraud, send us messages. This is how we get a lot of our information. MJCBoston1 at yahoo.com. Been getting a lot of good emails lately. A lot of great information. I want to thank everyone that has dropped a dime lately. And I want to thank all the folks who are listening. Our, our numbers are way up. Um, hashtag calling Kim has become a, a, something we might even put that on a t-shirt. That, that's a rallying call here. So we, we had a few comments tonight. Uh, had a friend... Uh, he said, good evening from Clearwater. We have some Clearwater, Florida listeners. Maybe that's Kim. I think Kim might be in Clearwater. <laughs> We're here and laughing in the peanut gallery. I like that. Uh, uh, Lou Rinaldi early in the show says, look at Mike going right for the jugular, right out of the gate. This is open and shut. Yeah, I think about the testing fraud. I think that was pretty open and shut. That was like a two-minute, like, just boom. Lou also writes, there's a fungus among us. Lou, Lou's monopolizing all the comments. Let me get some other people up here. Everyone else is like a Facebook user. They don't use their names. Here's another comment from tonight. If they don't like the test results, they could just test it again. That's another issue in Massachusetts. They allow you to test it again. None of these test results are real or honest, they write. I had a long comment here from a Facebook user who wrote, leave it to true lie to lie to the OSHA and bail out on what they agreed to. That's true on the NIOSH. They're not doing the NIOSH study in Massachusetts. Had some other comments too. Like again, a lot of Facebook user comments tonight. Where are my LinkedIn people? Usually we get a lot of LinkedIn, not tonight. Why uh, why fix it when you can just change the name and fool its true identity? I think they're talking about uh, the testing companies that changed their name recently. Um, 
They were also laughing earlier when the Kinder Surprise came up from uh, Pro Verde Lab presentation. I thought that was cool. <laughs> and someone else, uh, another Facebook user wrote, yep, that explains why the model is shit everywhere. If it's Massachusetts, we're modeling after. <laughs> that is the comment of the night. It's from a Facebook user. I'm going to have to look it up later and say, dude, you, or dude or lady, whoever you are, you had the Facebook comment of the night. That was that was the best <laughs> comment. I, I hear Jeff laughing in the peanut ba background. <laughs> Jeff, you think do you think that was the best one too? Give me a thumbs up if you do. I can see you. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, he does too. <laughs> uh, let's read that one again. Facebook user, right? <laughs> yep, that explains why the model is shit everywhere. If it's Massachusetts, we're modeling after. That explains it. If they're all modeling themselves after Sean Collins in other states. That's the problem why there's a problem nationally. Uh, Larry Boyle on YouTube writes, this is a good comment. This might be a good comment. To, well, like one of the, this is, you know what? We'll say this is the top YouTube comment tonight. Maybe the only one, but it's a good one. He says, everyone knows to go to analytics to beat micro failures and get 35% THC or better every time. And I mean, that's pretty much what we have on the screen right here is the same company that Trueleaf just all of a sudden Trueleaf stopped going to MCR Labs and just decided to use Steep Hill and this analytics company that we caught, I think, doing illegal fraud tonight and presented it on our show. Larry, Larry agrees. A lot of people agree. Everyone, everyone that I've talked to, like locally over the last like week about this, you know, privately trying to get background that are in the know, they're like, oh, that company, that company's been a, like, that. this is what they're saying. It's, and I'm not saying that I know this, I don't want to get sued, but everyone thinks the reputation of that company is not good. Let's put it that way. Among the folks that I talk to. I think we're going to wrap it up now. That was the best quote of the night from YouTube. My dogs were pretty good. I, I, I put myself on, on, uh, mute a bunch of times i was even trying to talk at certain points and didn't realize i was on mute but the two guests really you know did a good job for me tonight and i really appreciate it because i was not sure of the dog i had here tonight and he actually did do really well so i want to thank my dogs as well i want to thank my guests i want to thank our dogs i want to thank all of the listeners and if you want to support us even more anchor.fm slash the young jerks i think it's actually spotify for podcasts now or something like that. You can, no matter where you're listening to us on podcasts, if you scroll down on the description, it usually says that, especially on iTunes and like Spotify, it, it, it's a little link where you can donate to us monthly. If you want to do that, even a small amount, like $1, $5, there's a couple different ways you can do it, $10. It does add up. We really appreciate the people that do kick in a little money to help us. Uh, there is some cost to this each month. So I want to thank all of our supporters, especially could also do that on uh, Midnight Mass, our Substack, and uh, we also have a Patreon. You can find that. Just you know, search the Young Jerks, J U R K S. Three ways you can give us money. I want to thank all of our supporters and listeners. And if you're a new listener, please subscribe. Make sure you you know hit the sub button on YouTube, iTunes, wherever you're listening. Still getting some more comments coming in. I'm just posting without even reading it. Danny Carson is listening on Facebook. He says his best quote, uh, uh, my quote of the night. 
<laughs> I want to thank my guests and I want to thank my dogs. That is the best quote of me for the night. I think I'm going to check out on that one. I'll thank my two dogs. I, you know, it's full funny. I don't know if you noticed, but I was the whole show. I was reaching in my pocket and throwing them the treats. <laughs> and at one point I ran out of treats and I thought they were going to fight. It was so funny, but they were good. They, they really, these dogs did good tonight. <laughs> They didn't even bark when she left. It was amazing. I heard her leave and they knew she left and they didn't go nuts. I don't know. It was last night. He went nuts. It was funny. It just took a night. Just took one night. Thank you so much, Danny, for listening. I want to thank all of our guests again. I'm Mike Crawford, young jerks. Please subscribe to us, like us, follow us, share this. I want to thank everyone. Um, the show recently got uh, like remonetized on Spotify. So we're happy about that. Uh, they're starting to put ads in there in our podcast that helps the show. And it looks like uh, Facebook, like we're about to get the same thing and maybe on YouTube too. So I want to thank everyone for really supporting us. I know we don't have the largest audience. There's like, you know, we're not millions. We're not even hundreds of thousands, but we do have an audience. And I want to thank you so much because it really has been making a difference. And I think it has been breaking through some of the stories at least. So Thank you so much. It's really about you guys and our guests on the show. So I'm very thankful. And uh, comment says, love seeing the show evolve on YouTube. Thank you so much. We're the Young Jerks. I'm not sure when, when we'll be back, but we'll be back soon. We got a lot going on, a lot of events. I'm wondering if we're even on LinkedIn tonight. Maybe that was the issue. I'm seeing maybe we're not. Damn. All right, but we will see everyone soon on LinkedIn too. Young Jerks, see you later.